This is Soccer City, a weekly program that inspects the impact of soccer on the five boroughs and across the globe. I was in Brooklyn on Sunday night to take in a game where a father and son were on opposite sides as two legendary clubs met in the U.S. Open Cup. Grant Wall is back. To my delight, I love the detail he secured for the minds of elite players in his new book, Masters of Modern Soccer. Here are players in their 30s who've won everything just about, like company like Neuer, like Alonzo, who talk about how much they learned in their 30s about the sport playing under Guardiola. And the Cooligans are here to help New York City FC supporters recover from the demolition derby on Saturday afternoon in Harrison, New Jersey. The atmosphere was festive on Flatbush Avenue in Brooklyn on Sunday night at Long Island University, the venue affectionately known as The Cage. It was the site for a U.S. Open Cup match between the Brooklyn Italians and the Cosmos B. The Italians have some history, a pair of cup titles in 1949, their inaugural year, and 1991 both before the MLS was born. Now, a guy who served as vice president for the Brooklyn Italians for nearly 25 years is Joe Baroni, and he had a bit of a conflict on Sunday night. He is now senior VP for the Cosmos, and his son was starting in the midfield for the Italians. Yeah, look, it's, it's, uh, it's emotional. I, uh, I drove my son, uh, Giuseppe, here, who, who will, uh, who's playing for uh, plays for Brooklyn. And uh, yeah, of course, it's emotional, and inside uh, there's a you know there's a feeling of of um, you know anxiety. Um, but this is what soccer is all about, and and uh, you know I'm I'm blessed to have this experience, and I think uh, a lot of the fans on on both sides are blessed to have you know, this unique experience in, in a local uh, uh, derby. So you talked about the emotion of having your son on the opposite side, or I don't know if you even look at it that way. <laughs> I'm not sure how exactly. How do you exactly look at tonight's game? You know, uh, my son said to me, uh, you know, uh, I would like to see what you do, you know, uh, you know, if I score. Uh, and I said, Joey, look, I will definitely clap. Well, and clap he did. Joey, or Giuseppe Baroni, scored the opening goal of the match en route to a 3-2 upset victory over the Cosmos. Giuseppe's coach for the Brooklyn Italians is Dominic Castaldo. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting household tonight. Joey might find himself locked out. I don't know how he's getting home. Um, I don't know if Joe waited for him or not. So. <laughs> but it is, it, it's an intriguing story, really, because... Joe Baroni, the father, has been such a big part of the Italians. Sure, you know, Joe was the guy who really started off the, the youth section of the club and, and, and really got things going. He was he was a prominent figure in bringing me to the club um, four years ago and, you know, me and Joe have a great relationship. Obviously, we, we want him to do well with the Cosmos, right? We want the Cosmos to do well. We have a good relationship with that club. Um, but tonight, you know, we're, we're opponents and we're adversaries tonight. Um, so we wanted to win and, and thankfully we did. I've been with the club four years now and the club obviously has a real rich history, as you know. This is just another chapter in that history. This is going to be a, a famous night that's talked about for a long time. And the younger Baroni felt very comfortable in the surroundings for the preliminary round match of the U.S. Open Cup because he's a sophomore at LIU under the guidance of head coach T.J. Kostecki, who took in the proceedings and understood the conflict. For Joe, he's going to win and he's going to lose both both ways. I talked to him before the match, and, and, and he was so conflicted. You know, he could, you could tell how uncomfortable he was, because either way, either way it goes, it's gonna, not going to work out for him. And uh, 
I think it's a bittersweet that uh, Cosmo's lost, but his son scored a goal. The other two goals were scored, including the game winner, by another one of Kostecki's LIU Blackbirds, Rasmus Hansen. The success of both in a big moment, reinforcing the importance of the collegiate spring season for Kostecki. What's neat is that we've just finished our spring season about a week ago, and both uh, those two guys in particular have made uh, tremendous progress in the spring. Um, And oftentimes uh, you hear that the spring season is not uh, a, a good season for collegiate soccer because players don't develop and move forward. Well, I would strongly disagree with that. In a match that, that means something is worthwhile, it's a, it's a nice confirmation for them that they're moving forward and they're getting better. And, and I think it's uh, you know, a little feather in the cap for, for college soccer as well. A scout from both FC Cincinnati, a probable Major League Soccer entrant in the near future, and the New York Red Bulls, their newest scout, the former Adelphi coach Carlo Equista, both on hand to see the impressive striker from Denmark, Hansen. Well, the collegiate season has come to a close time for both Hansen and Baroni to concentrate on their final exams and their upcoming first-round match with the defending amateur champions, the Lansdowne boys from Yonkers, New York, with Castaldo and his boys understanding the sense of history at the club. So it's, it's hard to miss it when you come to our uh, clubhouse, Glenn. You'll have to come over there one day and, and check it out and do a piece on the clubhouse because we have the Open Cup there. We have photos of guys like Billy Manning, who, who was sent off in the 91 uh, Cup final, which we won. He was sitting on his car uh, in the parking lot after the game. So we try to relay that to the guys. I think they have a sense of it. But it's such a, uh, an age difference that they probably don't really understand it fully like maybe you or I would. Um, but I hope now that they're obviously written their own page in the club's history that they'll appreciate it more and hopefully there's a, a few more pages in this chapter to go this season. U.S. Soccer says they would like the Brooklyn Italians to host again on Wednesday. Another chance for the 19-year-old Baroni to shine in, in front of familiar faces. Is there something special about playing in the city too? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, playing in the city's got a lot because just, I mean, soccer and play, especially playing in New York, uh, you see a soccer match going on, great atmosphere, why not stop in? And it just creates a better culture and obviously family being nearby is even better to come watch and, and get the numbers out there. So I think New York and the city is just a special place to have a, a U.S. Open game at a local local facility, which is great. What did you think of the atmosphere tonight? Uh, it was great. Uh, you heard, I mean, for me, to speak to the guys on the field was tough. I mean, uh, the atmosphere was great and, and it felt like like it was the real deal, and I hope to continue that the games continue to be like this and see how, how far we can go. Your dad did say that your mom would definitely be rooting for her son. Oh yeah, all day we've been speaking about it, and she had my uh, she had the broken tying shirt on, and uh, there's always some jokes thrown at her. So I think at the end of the day, I got the last laugh with the with the victory. Well, unique evening for the Baroni clan. Meanwhile, the Cosmos B were the only one of the three NASL back teams in the U.S. Open Cup. To lose on Sunday night, Miami FC 2 and the Jacksonville Armada both advancing to the first round. Senior Sports Illustrated writer Grant Wall's new book, Masters of Modern Soccer, features an elite player per position in each chapter. Today, we'll start with the forward line and Javier Hernandez, more commonly known as Chicharito. Uh, It's curious that you picked Chicharito out of uh, the number of strikers or forwards that you uh, had to choose from. Part of me wanted to have a Mexican player because the Mexican team is so popular in the United States. 
But part of me also really wanted to uh, to work with Chicharito because here's a guy who uh, has made a career uh, out of being just so good at, at scoring goals. And they're not always the, the prettiest goals, and he's not always the the very best forward in terms of the, the skills that you associate with a forward. He's just good at a lot of those skills, really good. And he finds ways to finish, and it's not a coincidence that this guy has continued to score basically everywhere he's gone. Uh, he's the all-time uh, leader on the Mexican national team in goals now. Um, and so I spent uh, a couple of visits with him. One when he was at Bayer Leverkusen was our first interview, uh, and then spent a couple of days with him and Juan Carlos Osorio on the Mexican national team last summer in Denver when they were there and learned a lot. And there's a lot in the chapter, actually. About yeah, that chapter. I know it's a it's Chicharito, but it's really also Juan Carlos Osorio. It is. And he, I... I really came away impressed with Osorio and how he approaches his players and has their full respect, which becomes very clear listening to Chicharito. But one thing we get into in the chapter is about these systematic patterns that the Mexican national team runs that are almost like set plays in basketball uh, to try and get the ball to Chicharito in front of the goal. And I knew that some of this stuff happened at club level where you can work on it every day. But I didn't know that national teams were doing this as much. And um, it was just obviously it's not the same as basketball. And a lot of things can happen in a play uh, that you're not expecting. And in soccer, you've just got to deal with it. But uh, well, you had the magnetic board out with oh, the yeah. – uh, and, and Juan Carlos was moving players around, Chicharito as well. It was a really cool more than hour-long interview jointly with Chicharito and Osorio where at one point uh, Osorio just – kind of got quiet and listened as Chicharito was explaining to me all the details of all the things that not just he was supposed to be doing on the field, but all of his Mexican teammates. And at the end of it, Osorio was like this proud father, like, because he was like, he gets it. You know, not only does he get what he's supposed to do, but he understands what everyone is supposed to be doing to create this opportunity in front of the goal. You describe uh, Chicharito moving to the left wing in a World Cup qualifier against Costa Rica, and it screwed up the Costa Rican back line incredibly, and it worked. And you then say uh, you've traveled the world and talked to a lot of people, and you've been told that Americans struggle at soccer because we're told to d- what to do by the coach. Because the sense of soccer is that it's a, it's flowing. You have got to make decisions on your own, but you would counter that with the, the experience with Osorio. Yeah, I would. I mean, I would say that, you know, I, I realize that in other U.S. sports that there's, you know, like football or basketball, maybe more set plays, things like that. But um, I think if you're going to be a manager or a coach at a high level in soccer these days, you need to sort of have some of these patterns set up. And the top teams do. And that's how you build chemistry and obviously it's going to break down sometimes and you're going to uh you know use your talent to create sure, what you can there's room for improvisation of course, of course. Yeah. yeah as there is in basketball um and yet i was just struck by the structure that was there on the mexican national team and how much time and training sessions that osorio puts into these systematic patterns before we leave chicharito uh he he's so efficient in front of the goal seems to always be uh, in the right place at the right time. Did you get a sense for how that developed? Yeah, he, uh, Chicharito talks about smelling the intuition in the box, as he puts it, which I think is a wonderful, I think it's coming like literally out of Spanish. Um, and 
it, it's about anticipation for him. And if you can anticipate um, a split second ahead of your defender where the ball is going to be on a cross or a pass or uh, you know a scramble in the box, you can do some really good things as a forward. And I think you know, we talk in the chapter about scoring ugly goals and how he's gotten this reputation as a, a poacher, as, which is kind of a negative connotation in the soccer world, but he embraces it. He's like, look, if I'm scoring ugly goals on a regular basis, I'm scoring goals on a regular basis. And you know, after a while, um, you don't need to necessarily be scoring highlight real goals. They all count the same. Now, anticipation is also critical on the defensive side of the ball, and your defender is Vincent Company, the uh, center back for Manchester City. Why? Oh man, this guy's amazing, and, and I think it comes through in the in the chapter. I, he's so willing to share tricks of the trade for a center back that that Company has learned over the years. Uh, and for me, it was just I was tickled just sitting there listening to him. You know, he will start a sentence by saying something like, you know, most professional defenders don't understand this, but and then explain something that is really cool to listen to. So, um, you know, one of those examples is uh, most defenders, in his opinion, don't understand that if you're marking a forward in the box and the ball's out wide and there's good pressure on the ball, then you, Vincent Company, can mark your, your forward in the box more tightly. But if there's not good enough pressure on the ball out wide, you, Vincent Company, need to lay off your striker a little bit because that passer is going to have much more of an ability to deliver a ball on a dime. And so it's that awareness of what's happening elsewhere you know, and what your team is doing. That was a big thing with Company was like, look, you know, there's certainly a lot of individual things you need to do as a defender, but it's all about team, really. And if you're on a in good chemistry with your defending teammates and all of the rest of your teammates, you're going to have a much better chance at preventing goals. And he was also able to really aptly describe the difference between playing for Pellegrini at Man City and playing for Guardiola and what his responsibilities were. He was exposed a little bit more in Pellegrini's system. Yeah, he, exactly. And he almost sounded like he prefers the Guardiola situation a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, like under under Pellegrini, he was saying is like their their fullbacks bombed forward, and, and more than that, their central midfielders they didn't really have much of a defensive midfielder presence under Pellegrini, and so a lot of times under Pellegrini, Company was one of the few guys to protect against a counter, and uh, he says there's a little more balance under Guardiola, um, and like other guys in this book who played for Guardiola, like Xabi Alonso, like Manuel Neuer, Company speaks reverently of Guardiola, who's not a character in this book, but he almost is just because these players talk about how different Guardiola is compared to other managers they've had in terms of his obsession in talking about positional stuff, mainly, about how a guy should be two feet over than where he is and why, or why a player should just stand here at forward for a longer time than he thinks because that's his function. And and so, like, I found that really striking because here are players in their 30s who've won everything just about, like company, like Neuer, like Alonzo, who talk about how much they learned in their 30s about the sport playing under Guardiola. 
interesting that a company is now playing for Martinez on the uh, international level mm-hmm. with Belgium, which when you started to write the book, you had no idea that right. was going to occur. Right. No, it was kind of, I was tickled, actually. And I was tickled first when they were worked together for ESPN during Euro 2016 because company was injured and Roberto was doing studio stuff. And they were so much fun to listen to. They were just talking the game in a way that was smart but accessible. To me, anyway, he was one of the first center backs to come to England and have grace at the back, Mm -hmm. be superior on the technical side, had the ability to keep the ball. And I know he played for Anderlecht, and in that youth system, they were influenced uh, by uh, the Netherlands and Ajax. So the ball was on the deck. I'm sure that makes him very happy to play for Pep as well. Yeah, and and company talks about modeling his game after Patrick Vieira and Marcel Desailly, and he was so confident he wanted to be better than them. And you know, but at at Anderlecht, like you said, they they played the ball on the ground, and he, and company even still uses this phrase called going Anderlecht on somebody when he decides to make a marauding run up the field on the ball, and. It was a great preparation for him because he's like, look, we didn't even work on headers until late in our teens, and that didn't hurt him in the game. And this is a guy who scored plenty of goals with his head, you know, big goals over the years. That's interesting because it really relates to the player development initiatives from U.S. soccer and Tab Ramos, right. where they have the build-out line now for like the U10s. Mm-hmm. You can't head until after you're 10 years old, so it's kind of similar. I, you know, that hit me, and I made that point when I discussed companies saying that, um, that you don't need to be heading the ball at age 10. The book is Masters of Modern Soccer. The author, Grant Wall, Pulisic, Alonso, Chicharito, Company, Roberto Martinez. My assessment? Get the book. It was a match to forget for New York City FC. The Hudson River Derby on Saturday going to the New York Red Bulls 4 to nothing. Alexis Guerreros and Christian Polanco, they're here to help relieve the pain. The Cooligans, a pair of New York City stand-up comedians passionate about soccer, and New York City FC, their season ticket holders. They've got a podcast, they're on YouTube, just a couple of lighthearted guys. Boys, I want to welcome you, but we just got to get to it. The city supporters, they need you this week. They, they, they need to add some levity to this poor Derby performance. What do you have for us? What do you have for us, Alexis? Prescription drugs. <laughs> uh, there's nothing I can give you. And if anyone is going to listen to our podcast and expect to be uplifted by the end of it, I mean, a, a Christian, maybe. I haven't talked to you about it. <laughs> You're not going to get that from me. Uh, this was a... 2016 performance uh, in 2018 shirts, and it's uh, appalling. It was offensive. This hurt more than the 7-0 for some strange reason. Uh, This was... Well, we had a higher expectation yeah. because of the current form of the team leading into the match. Yeah, but I I think the the current form of the team is the reason what happened happened. I think there's a little bit of like... Uh, arrogant in the way that NYCFC have played this year, where they've they've embarrassed certain teams, like uh, against RSL, where RSL could could barely touch the ball. So there's a little bit of like, all right, we'll be fine. There's like, we, this is how we play. We play with some style. And then, how many back heel after back heel after back heel do you need before you realize that hey, you know what? This is kind of a big game. We probably should be playing like this. Yeah, stop with the back heels. This isn't back heel fest. Okay, <laughs> one of you won the World Cup. <laughs> Stop playing this way. It was it from the from the beginning. It was, I mean, look, I understand you get scored on in the first two minutes. All right, maybe you maybe you regroup. 
What happened to the regrouping? No one regrouped. <laughs> they were all like, hey, how about we just let them keep scoring on us? And we went. We were there. <laughs> we wish we were not there. The, the, the team didn't play well, but the tailgate, oh, that was awesome. The tailgate was great. Crushed it. I had diarrhea afterwards. That's how bad, <laughs> that's how bad that game was. And I blame the game. I was like, what did you eat? I'm like, nothing that bad. This, this is because of the game. Now, now, what was the tailgate? I, I, I read about it a little bit. Who, they hired who, who a Mario. It was, was that a, all about? a combination of Third Rail and some of uh, the other supporters. It was a, a NYCSC, New York City's uh, supporters, supporters Club. Uh, supporters Club. And, um, uh, and yeah, and Third Rail, and right? Templados and Third Rail. It yeah, was just yeah. all the fans that went. It was all the away fans. They hired a mariachi band to um, play some of the songs that we sing in the stands. It was a really great time. It was uh, El Himador was there, so they had like free tequila. They had free tacos. Free tequila was also probably not the best idea, uh, <laughs> but it was a Cinco de Mayo celebration before yeah, the yeah. game. It was great. It was all great fun. And then we walked into the second Red Wedding. <laughs> so. How's it going between the New York City FC supporters and the New York Red Bull supporters? Uh, there wasn't much interaction. I think Red Bull Arena did an incredible job of keeping us separated and uh, making sure a couple uh, Red Bull fans, some families walked by through the uh, uh, the tailgate, and it was fine. No one, yeah. no one really. There's it that was guy, the supporters. The supporters. That guy, uh, John. I, I I've seen him before because I've gone to. I hung out with some Timbers fans, and we went to a Red Bull game. Also, the one that they, they, the Timbers also lost four nothing. Four nil. That's right. That was four. You've been uh, so don't let Christian go <laughs> go to Red Bull Arena ever again. So uh, that was poor Gio Savadese coming back to his uh, home team. You yeah, know, and, and just who also crunched. beat. Patrick Vieira, what is happening? <laughs> but that guy, the guy John, he's like the the uh, the away fan like coordinator, and he's like he's actually really cool, and he lets everybody know like, hey, you know, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna keep you uh, after the game. We're gonna keep you there for thirty minutes, so that so to, to limit any interaction with any. I noticed that because I'm doing the post game show here on WNYE, right. and I keep looking up to the supporters section, and you're surrounded by yellow jackets. And not to be the you know the, <laughs> the guys, and and I'm I'm like, why are they still there? Yeah, so that's yeah. just an effort to make sure there's no. Uh, yeah, they let the no supporters yes of, of the winning team clear out first. There, there was one game. scuffle in the arena, but it was like it was it, very short. Yeah, they stopped it pretty quickly. I think somebody threw. Uh, I I heard that it was a Red Bull fan that threw something at another Red Bull fan. And and they and an NYCFC fan stopped, stopped the fight. Stopped so the fight. <laughs> so even even in fights, the NYCFC yeah. isn't getting any shots. <laughs> no shots. What is happening? Ah, I think the first shot on goal was in the 38th minute or 40 something minute. I mean, no, it was, just... was you, Inga Burgett, right at the close of the half. Where oh, that's uh, right when he passed Robles... it back to Robles. Well, well, I think he did a pretty fair. What? Yeah, Robles saved yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but that was the chance to make it three one. It could have been a different game. Right. What, what's go, what's uh, going on with Liam Ridgewell? I, I didn't. <laughs> I just see him. Like, what's going on there? Perfect segue. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Liam. So one Christian was a Portland center back. Everybody yeah, who yeah. mysteriously disappeared for weeks, but, but he comes it, right back to captain of the team and beat NYCFC. <laughs> so thank you. It felt like a personal attack on us. Uh, so Christian was saying that, you know, we, we sort of talk about what we have. We also defend American soccer. We know that what we're doing is not traditional. This is our tradition. We're building it as we go. Let us have that moment. You know, I know we went to Ikea and bought a bookshelf, but you know what? When we put it together, it looks more like a coffee table now. We didn't put it together correctly. Let's enjoy the coffee table. That's kind of what we're saying. Liam Ridgewell went on Soccer AM, which is a show in Europe. Yeah, that's right. They have a show named Soccer. I know they yelled at us for calling the sport soccer, and they called their show soccer, but whatever. Uh, and uh, Jamie Bullard? Jimmy Bullard? Yeah, yeah, Jimmy Bullard. Jimmy Bullard was make a former uh, English uh, 
League player was making fun of MLS, essentially. And Liam Ridgewell sat there and not only took it, but joined in, which I'm fine with, as long as at some point you turn around and defend a little bit. I'm not saying you're like, hey, stop joking. We're all for jokes. But at no point you're just sitting there, you know, taking the mick, as they say, out of the league that pays you. You're getting, your own league didn't want you. You came here, and now you're letting somebody sit there and make fun of it. It felt like watching someone making fun of your mom, and you just sit there going, yeah, I know, right? You shouldn't do that. So we we defended, and I went on to something called the Guerrero rant, which I'm kind of doing now, which is where I just ranted. I think it was like a 20-minute just me yelling into a camera and into a microphone. I saw one of your podcasts was two hours. Holy smoke. Oh, we've yeah. done four What's hours. <laughs> they go long yeah. sometimes. Yeah, we go a little long. That's a long train but, ride, man. Yeah, yeah. But be, a lot, sometimes people tell us like when, uh, when the podcast is only like, you know, an hour and 20 minutes, they're like, Man, that was a short one. I usually I need for you know for the g- going ways, to work and, and coming back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> New York City FC, your favorite player or players, and why? Alexis, you first. Uh, Davide has got to be first, um, mainly because we're also the host of his media channel. <laughs> uh, so we got to shout to the boss. Um, and number two, currently, I would say. Jonathan Lewis, uh, and I hope he gets on the field at some point. How about yeah. you, uh, uh, Christian? Uh, number one, David Villa, obviously. I mean, just uh, the goat of, of Major League Soccer, except for last week. Uh, but uh, number two, easily, uh, Alex Ring. Alex Ring, I, lo- I just love uh, everything about him. I love the way his, his intensity, uh, the comments after the game. He was like just one of the dudes that just kept it. Real on the way. I don't even like he. He can keep too real. He can keep a New York real in like you know in, in a Scandinavian accent, yeah. which is just great. He is. We say the term gully. I don't know if you remember that. It was a term that was popular for like two summers, and it just meant someone who was like tough and hardcore. Yeah. So we say we're the gulliest soccer podcast. Alex Ring is the gulliest soccer player <laughs> on NYCFC. He look, pulls no punches. He'll tell you exactly how it is, and if it doesn't go right, he's calling out. Everybody's getting you know pointed at. I love it. Who's the funniest player that you don't mind giving a little hard time to, and maybe uh, they can give it back? Hey, yeah, on yeah, the, any uh, on NYCFC yeah, or just yeah. in general? No, on I, NYC. Uh, and, and then what you can go say in general? general. Bobby Boswell. Bobby Boswell's got, if he was a comedian, he'd be famous. Bobby Boswell is hilarious. One yeah. of the funniest people we've ever met. Seriously. So where did you uh, engage with him? We had him, we did a live event in Atlanta, and he was one of the players that came out back when he was on Atlanta uh, United FC, and he was just riffing with us. Um, on NYCFC, I say Tommy's actually pretty funny. We oh, took yeah, him out, yeah. We did a pizza tour with Tommy. I'm a pizza expert in New York City. So we took you him are? Out, yeah, so we took him out to go Have you ever pizza. been to Arturo's? Yes, on, I have. On Not Houston? a fan. Why? Are you a fan? Oh, he, the pizza? The pizza's disgusting. <laughs> Are you kidding? I can't. I couldn't oh find. Boy. It might Are be you, dollar slices. My wife will I found, harm you. I found <laughs> dollar slices that are better than than. You Arturo's. don't. You have no. I mean, yeah. you're a pizza guy. You're, Listen, you're completely cold oven. They sheet their yeah. dough. They don't let their dough rise overnight. The dough is. I don't the dough care is, what they do with their dough. I'm telling you, it's I, not I'm, good. I'm concerned about the taste of the pizza. Yeah, this is. Can I give crust? you a list of better pizza places? <laughs> The atmosphere no, no. is great. I go there for a drink. You got live music. You got the piano. Yeah, yeah, the piano Absolutely. Yeah, Look, I know yeah. the owners, and if they listen to this, I'm going to get in trouble. But I guarantee <laughs> you when I tell you, that is not good pizza. Do you put soccer jokes into your act? We, or, I have or, a or few. Or does it depend on where you are? And I have a few very universal soccer jokes. I mean, not yeah, very specific. Go ahead. Go. You're oh, on. No, oh, no. That's not for the radio. That's not for the radio. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 no. You're no. those kind of people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> does anybody here out of the two of you have a clean soccer joke? Uh, oh man, no, not really. I mean, I have a risque soccer joke about like 
going to the uh, MLS All-Star game and going to the locker room and all the abs that I saw. But that's that's as far as I can go. Well, I have PTSD from that. I mean, that's not what human beings look like, right? Those we had never been to a, a locker room before. We've gone to a couple, you know, uh, games and things like that, but we never went into the locker room to do interviews. And that was, uh, yeah, I mean, you really feel ashamed of your own body. Well, boys, it's a pleasure to have you in. I don't know how uplifting you've been, though, for the New York City supporters and your appearance here. There was, I, I, I don't know, you got anything for us? I mean, I gotta go back to the top of the show, I mean, Alexis. It, you just you said need... I don't have anything for you. I mean, come on, man. This I, is part of your responsibility, isn't I, it? I, I don't know if, if uh, NYCFC fans need comedy or therapy. Yeah, uh, because it was a, there was not too much to take that was really that positive. I, I was so the, upset I yelled Wenger out during the game. I mean, that's how upset I was. There's just not a lot going. I don't not a lot the, of positivity coming. I, I had tweeted out that uh, you know the, that the Hudson and Vidari, uh was pretty rough, but uh, but at least I got to hear Bulls on Parade four times, which is a great yeah. song from Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> Love it. I'm like, oh, this is cool. This is, a good, this is my jam. <laughs> uh, all right, boys. Well, that's the Cooligans, everybody. Go out and see them individually, together. Listen to their podcast. Watch their YouTube channel and whatever else. Thanks, boys. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right, Soccer City heard every Tuesday, 1 o'clock, WNYE, available on TuneIn and iTunes. Our next live broadcast coming up Sunday night. NYCFC meets the exciting expansion side LAFC. Join me with Fox and Yes commentator Ian Joy. Airtime, 8.15 Eastern. I'm Glenn Crooks. Enjoy your week of soccer.